Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to our series of sermons on Jesus. This is an unusual series of sermons in that the way that I've structured them, we have an extended introduction followed by a song to set the tone for the topic of the day. And then we get into, I guess you'd say, the sermon proper. Obviously, we've edited out the songs. Anyway, there's a little heads up. Enjoy the sermon. Lord God in heaven, refresh us this morning, please. Refresh our faith with a clear view of Jesus as man. Dear God, we pray, would you please encourage our hearts with this? Um, Give us a shot in the arm in in terms of our our faith, a real um, spur along as we seek to love and live for our Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you will probably remember me talking about Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn, you know, Huck from Mark Twain's uh, books, the kid, uh, the main character. Um, I put it to you that Huck captures something of the spirit of our times in that he saw religion as irrelevant. He saw religion, he saw Moses, he saw Jesus, he saw prayer, he saw heaven and hell, he saw God as irrelevant to a modern boy's life in the world. Um, irrelevant on several fronts, really. First, it's just old stories. You know, those guys are all dead now. Uh, what I, I can't reach back to them from history. They can't reach forward to me. They're irrelevant. Um, irrelevant because the trappings of religious life, as he saw it lived out in the people around him, that lifestyle, it seems so stuffy and dated and, frankly, unattractive. Who'd want it, thought Huckleberry. Uh, not only that, but you get the sense that the old widow, that's um, you know, a religious person, that's uh, um, Huck's guardian in this case, and Miss Watson, her sister, the guardian's um, sister, they clung to beliefs that at least in Huck's view were simply ill-equipped to deal with modern life, as Huckleberry saw it. They couldn't handle life in the real world. You know, that old stuff... It just didn't wash for people like you and me and Huck, who just wanted to bust out with Tom Sawyer, wanted to sneak away for a smoke, wanted to float down the Mississippi River, just cause. People who wanted adventure, who wanted life, irrelevant. Have a listen to how Huck describes one particular evening uh, in uh, the house with uh, the old widow. The widow rung a bell for supper and you had to come on time When you got to the table, you couldn't go right to eating, but you had to wait for the widow. Listen to how he describes giving thanks here. But you couldn't go right to eating, but you had to wait for the widow to tuck down her head and grumble a little over the victuals, though there weren't really anything the matter with them. After supper, she got out her book and learned me about Moses and the bulrushes, and I was in a sweat to find out all about him, but by and by she let it out that Moses had been dead a considerable long time, so then I didn't care no more about him, because I don't take no stock in dead people. Pretty soon I wanted to smoke and ask the widow to let me, but she wouldn't. She said it was a mean practice and wasn't clean, and I must try not to do it anymore. That's just the way with some people. They get down on a thing when they don't know nothing about it. Here she was a-bothering about Moses, which was no kin to her and no use to anybody being gone, you see, yet finding a power of fault with me for doing a thing that had some good in it. 
And she took snuff too, of course, that was all right, because she'd done it herself. Her sister, Miss Watson, a tolerable slim old maid with goggles on, had just come to live with her and took a set at me now with a spelling book. She worked me middling hard for about an hour and then the widow made her ease up. I couldn't stood it much longer. Then for an hour it was deadly dull and I was fidgety. Miss Watson would say, don't put your feet up there, Huckleberry, and don't scrunch up like that, Huckleberry, set, set up straight. And pretty soon she would say, don't gap and stretch like that, Huckleberry, why don't you try to behave? And then she told me all about the bad place. Hell. And I said, I wished I was there. And she got mad then, but I didn't mean no harm. All I wanted was to go somewhere. All I wanted was a change. I weren't particular. She said it was a wicked thing to say what I said. Said she wouldn't say it for the whole world. She was going to live so as to go to the good place. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going. So I made up my mind I wouldn't try for it. But I never said so, because it would only make trouble and wouldn't do no good. Now she got a start. And she went on and on to tell me about the good place. She said all the body would have to do there was to go round all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there. And she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. <laughs> so these four weeks, we've got the spotlight very much on Jesus. Uh, but I wonder if I could ask you right now to imagine what I hope is one plausible outcome from the series as we look at Jesus. Would you please imagine yourself in four weeks' time? See, how would it be if you discovered in these four weeks that Jesus was absolutely bona fide the real deal? What if, and so this is perhaps to the more sceptical, the less convinced, or perhaps the person who's just experiencing some real doubts at the moment and isn't quite sure anymore, though you, maybe you have been for some time. Just imagine for a moment, what would it be like if Jesus turns out to be the real deal? Not a real deal, but the big deal in your life. How would that be? What if Huck, in other words, he got it wrong? What if this ancient old story, perhaps with a few funny rules and more than a few funny and frankly wonky and even hypocritical followers, yes, all of those things, but what if the heart of it checks out as we look at the person of Jesus and he turns out to be the real deal and far from being irrelevant, it comes alive to you over these weeks uh, uh, it comes alive to you as the heart and soul of real living in your life from now on. Now, I said I was going to mix things up, and now I am. Uh, so, we're going to sing in a moment. We're going to sing Abide With Me. You know that old hymn? See, this morning, our focus is on the humanity of Jesus. He is man. And we're starting here for two reasons. Firstly, because I think that's the footing that the people in the Gospel stories had as they encountered Jesus. Uh, so that's the footing that I want us to get onto. See, they didn't think of Jesus uh, as this mythical, historical, religion-starting character with books and movies and holidays and presents and, you know, all of these things done in his honour. No, no. He, he was a guy, a man, walking about the place. That was the footing that they were on with Jesus. Here is a man, let's go hear what he has to say. Let's go see what he's like. Let's go see if the rumours are true about this man. 
But it's also this, I want us to sing for this reason. By opening up the Bible, here's where the song comes in, I want to persuade you that Jesus was every bit as human as we are. Every bit as human as we are, 100% human. His life was every bit as human as ours is. He experienced every bit of human life that is essential, that is the essence of human life as we experience it. That's the real Jesus. And so this hymn, it draws our hearts to find God even in the mess of life. The darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh abide with me. So I know it's a funny thing to do, but would you please stand? Musicians, could I ask you to come on up and let's, let's sing together. Thank you. Um, please read along with me. John chapter 11. John's Gospel, of course, penned, written by, John's, uh, by Jesus' long-time friend, perhaps his closest mate. I, I think I'd argue that from uh, the Gospels. I think John emerges as the closest friend of Jesus. John was the man who stood at Jesus' cross, at the bottom of Jesus' cross, and Jesus called down to him uh, and entrusted his ageing mother to John's care. That's the John uh, who later on went to write John's Gospel, uh, looking back, uh, the story of Jesus' life. And we pick it up around about halfway through John's Gospel in John 11. And I'm going to take something of a Bible study kind of approach here, uh, just reading us through the passage and commenting along the way. Now, a man named Lazarus, John 11 verse 1, was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, different Mary, you understand, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he learned that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Let's just pause there for a moment. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I think it's fair to say it is an unusual request and it's an unusual response, isn't it? It's an unusual request uh, in that this isn't just quick. You know, Lazarus's life is on the rocks, our brother's life is on the rocks. Go get that healer guy, you know, what's his name? Yeah, quick, get him. We've tried everything else. We've tried all the doctors. Maybe he can work his magic. It's worth a shot. We've tried, you know, we've got nothing left to do. No, it's personal, isn't it? And intimate even, Lord. The one you love is sick, verse 3. It's no ordinary request, but it's no ordinary response either. In fact, it's baffling to us, isn't it? There in verse 6, because though Jesus loved them, verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It, what do you mean he stayed? What's with the delay? And you see, John doesn't even tell us that some important events, important matters had to be dealt with in the intervening time between verse 6 and verse 7. No, it just flows straight from verse 6. It's not like there was these things that Jesus had to get to. 
or at least not that John bothers telling us about. No, straight to verse 7, uh, verse 7, uh, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there. Uh, he gives a cryptic answer at first, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, obviously the optimist among the group, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Perhaps I state the obvious, but I put it to you, if we were there that day, we'd have met a man, a a guy, a human being doing normal human things. I know there's a bit of talk there about the glory of God back in verse 4 there is and there's that uh, cryptic answer there in verse 9. Martha and Mary clearly expect a miracle. Yeah, there's some remarkable things going on but he is a a normal human being doing normal human things. There's something so normal about it. This could be a conversation happening anywhere in the world. Normal people, you see, have friends who love them and who ask them for help. Um, Normal people, sooner or later, find themselves in some conflict with other human people. I'm talking about the uh, the people in Judea. Normal friends challenge their friends, don't they? Normal friends challenge their friends when they think they're making a big mistake. Rabbi, last time you were in Judea, they wanted to throw rocks at your head until you died, verse 8. All I'm saying is this, when you came in this morning, what was your preconception of Jesus? That he was a real man? a real human being from actual history or that he was a religious guy, perhaps irrelevant, a little bit stuffy, a little bit prudish, irrelevant to a modern boy's life. But see, what if... If my religion is going to be relevant to my life and my Jesus is going to matter in the day-to-day, then I want to know that Jesus lived a life like mine. I want to know uh, that Jesus lived a real, normal human life. For me, that closes the gap, you see. It closes the gap between me down here and God, far off, uh, distant, out there, all-knowing, all-powerful, yes, but it closes the gap with me here living this very normal, very worldly, very normal life with worries and cares and concerns and clashes. The story takes a darker turn, of course. Verse 17, please keep reading with me. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Mary... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's going to stop there. If you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. That is a special kind of torment that she's going through there, isn't it? Do do you think that she is blaming Jesus? Or do you think that she's blaming herself? Which is it, do you think? I'm not quite sure. Because the thing is, she's probably right, isn't, isn't she? Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's probably right. And it's not like she hadn't tried, tried to get him there. Verse 3, do you remember? So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Oh, she tried to get him there. And Jesus, of course, had delayed two days, but Lazarus has been dead for four days by the time Jesus got there. Did you notice that? He was dead before the messenger probably even reached him. I should have sent for him sooner. I should have gone for you myself. Why did I delay? Is she blaming Jesus or blaming herself? I'm not sure. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now, when, G- when, sorry, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's pretty hard reading. I reckon Martha first and now Mary... And of course, our problem as readers, right, our problem as readers, if we're talking about getting back in their shoes and encountering Jesus as he was, our problem as readers is we know how it ends. Jono read it to us before, we know how it ends. We know where it goes. When when Kate and I watch movies sometimes, I've learned to to tell her, you know, it gets a bit intense and I've learned to lean across and say, it's all right, he gets out of life. It just makes it more bearable. It makes it more tolerable. Um, it, it makes it a thing that you can, you can go through when you know the outcome. So take us, John, won't you please? Take us. Can't we skip this bit? Take us from the arrival at Bethany straight through to the tomb. Lazarus, come out. Can't you spare us all this grief and tears and mourning and crying and stuff? It's unbearable. But see, I wonder, maybe that's exactly John's point. Maybe that is his point with having this paragraph after paragraph and Martha first coming with the question and then Mary coming with the same question. Maybe that is exactly the point. He wants us to sit with it. We need to pause here long enough to know that Jesus' promise of resurrection, that his promise of life from the dead, rising from the dead, it doesn't come come from a man who skipped the hard parts. And see, if you've ever found yourself blaming God or blaming Jesus in your grief, Lord, 
If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. You can take from this passage that you aren't the first and you won't be the last. And isn't it something to know that Jesus stood, not in some far-off ivory tower, not seated in some cloudy, distant palace, but stood as a man in a dusty road one day, eyeballed a woman who had tears streaming down her cheeks, a woman that he loved so dearly. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. I think that's something. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, I'm at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to a tomb. It was a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Jesus. He's man, all right. May I tell you why I'm glad that he doesn't, that John doesn't skip right over the sisters and over the tears? It's because I think I need my God to be human enough to know that life isn't all smiles and sunshine. I don't need that all the time. Sometimes life is smiles and sunshine, and it's pretty good. But sometimes I need my God to be human enough to know that life isn't all that. I need, and I suspect you need, a Jesus who has felt the emptiness of standing over a grave or standing at a tomb. A Jesus who has shed those tears. A Jesus who loves his friends even when they are a wreck and they try to blame him for the death of their brother. There's this poem... Um, about how Jesus is so different to other gods. It goes like this. Uh, It's by Edward Shalito. It's called Jesus of the Scars. Uh, One verse goes like this. It says, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, and not a god has wounds but thou alone. Um, Here's the other thing it does, though, on a much brighter note. I think it lends credibility, doesn't it? It lends weight to the promise 
that we read back in verse 25. Because it is one thing to bang on about eternal life when you're talking to fit and healthy and happy people who are never going to die. It is quite another to say it to Martha on the worst day of her life. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Brothers and sisters, coming from Jesus, the man, that is good news, isn't it? That is good news when it comes from a God who's been so thoroughly human. It is good news for people who want their religion to be relevant to real life. That is good news for people whose lives haven't shaped up quite the way that we'd hoped. That is good news for people who are scared they're going to die. It is good news for people who have sat through far too many funerals. That is good news. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you get what I mean? Not a voice from a pulpit, not a voice from a lectern, not some booming voice from the heavens. No, the voice of a man at the graveside of a friend whom he loved. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Can we pray together? Father, it is true, no other God has wounds but our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the incarnation, for God become man in the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for the comfort that that is in real life. Yes, when everything is smiles and sunshine, but also when things really do feel like darkness and gloom. What a gospel we have. What a God we have. Lord God, would you teach our hearts to lean on Jesus this week with a full assurance of faith, with a robust anchor for our very soul, come what may in life. And Lord God, as we face others who are going through the ringer, as we sit alongside, sit at the bedside of, uh, put the arm around those who are really struggling, Father, grant to us, please, that we may speak of our Lord, the one who came so near, the one who bears our wounds, our scars, our infirmities. Lord God in heaven, what a Jesus we have. And it's to you that we give thanks. Amen.